Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. We have a top 25, a preseason top 25 here on the website. You guys can check that out over at BaseballAmerica.com. And that is what Joe and I are going to be talking about is that preseason top 25 uh, and all, all things, I guess, preseason. We're, we're, we're getting close to, uh, you know, the sending the magazine to press. Uh, so if you're if you're eagerly awaiting that in your mailbox, it, it should be coming soon. We are we are wrapping that up and, and sending it out. So we're we're excited to talk about that and talk about the, the preseason top 25 here today on the podcast. Before we get to all of that, I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers, provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. Check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, it's, uh, it's an exciting day in the Baseball America world. We have a, a preseason top 25 live on the website now. Uh, it is topped by Florida. If you've been reading the never too early top 25s that we did during the offseason, uh, that development does not surprise you. Uh, perhaps some other things might surprise you. We'll, we'll get into all of that here uh, over the, the course of, of the podcast and hit on some teams that just missed. I know that's a, that's a question that a lot of people usually have is why didn't Team X make it, or how close was Team Y to the conversation? So we're gonna we're gonna get to some of those teams here as well. But Joe, it's uh it's nice just to you know go through the rhythms of the off season and and arrive here at a point where we actually have a, a preseason top twenty five. Yeah, so much of the rhythms have been thrown off leading up to this season. Where sure there is still kind of the feeling you and I have talked about where. Christmas and New Year's come and then all of a sudden you, you kind of refocus a little bit and you think, okay, here we, here we go. It's time. It's go time for lack of a better way of putting it. But other than that, so many of the other rhythms kind of got thrown off where, you know, fall ball was a little bit weird. Most places had some fall ball, but it was, it was disjointed and the schedule releases weren't kind of when they usually are. That's usually kind of something that tied you over and get you excited about games here and there. And, and we started to have some of that, but certainly not at the pace we usually do. So it is really kind of nice to, to be, to have this as a little tethering point where, okay, we've, we've got a top 25, we're looking at it. Uh, you know, we've debated it and, and now everything kind of builds out from here. Now, of course you and I have been working behind the scenes on this for a while. So this is not like the, the start of, of us getting ready for, you know, preseason coverage. We've, we've already been cranking on that for a few weeks now, but that said, it is nice to kind of have this, and now the rest of our coverage kind of grows out from here, and it's just a fun time. I think I've talked about this before, but I love this time of year, not just because of the anticipation, which of course is heightened this year, given what happened last year, but this is the kind of the time of year where if you're someone like me who just loves this sport with every fiber of his being, you this is the time of year where you kind of talk yourself into every team and every comp, like every conference is interesting. Every team is, has some potential, you know, you could, you can imagine just about anything happening and that's really exciting. And of course the reality is that, you know, the season starts and and not everything is possible and some teams just aren't going to be very good. And all of that is, is going to be the case, but right now anything is possible. And that's just, 
super, super exciting. Um, and that's, that's part of what this top 25 is about is we, even in a year like this, where we know, we know more about these teams and the, the others that followed closely behind than we've ever known about our top 25 teams, just because these teams have such a high percentage of their best players returning. So even in a year like that, there were still a lot of teams we left on the cutting room floor. We'll talk about them. But I, I was kind of surprised going into this process. When you and I started this, I was kind of surprised by how vigorous the debate was at the back end with trying to fit as many teams in as we could, because I kind of thought, you know, we've been doing these off season top 25s. We did a couple of them based on things like the draft, for example, and, and, and kind of, you know, summer ball to the extent we had summer ball. So we kind of had a working 25 going into this preseason top 25. So I kind of expected, you know, it, it would kind of, we would make some changes, but they would be a little more incremental, but then we, we really get into it. And, and the debate was, like I said, a little more, vigorous than I, I thought it was going to be. It surprised me a little bit by how, how interested I, I was in some teams that really weren't in the mix during the off season or at the end of last year. Um, and I thought that was really fun too, because I think there was a scenario where we kind of rolled with a, a, a 25 that looked a lot like the end of last season's 25. And this one probably looks more like that than in most years. Um, but it was quite a bit different actually. And I think that's, that's kind of cool and has really helped make this feel like it's, its own season as opposed to a continuation of the 2020 season, which was gone much too soon, of course. Yeah. I, um, I think when we started the top 25 process, Joe was really, uh, not, a, not, not ready for, uh, how long it ended up being. I thought you thought we were, it felt like you thought like, oh, okay, like, we'll we'll go in and we'll knock this out. Like we have a 25 already. Like, what do you want to talk for hours about this for Teddy? And then like, I was like, no, I have thoughts. <laughs> um, I, I think that this was actually the hardest 20 preseason top 25 um, that I've done at Baseball America, maybe excluding my first one, just because, you know, that was a brand new experience. But you know, th there were just so many teams and, and I get what you're saying that we know more about these teams than we usually do. But I also feel like, like I, and that's true to an extent, but I also think that I feel like I know less about these teams than I'm used to because, you know, we, we didn't get to see more than like three games of conference play shouts to the ACC for getting one weekend in. Um, nobody else got conference games in. We didn't get to see anyone really have to make any adjustments. We didn't get sustained weekends of high-level competition uh, for most of these teams. And then we also didn't get to see anyone back up what they did over the summer, uh, be that with the, the national team or in Cape Cod. So you know, you're looking at, you know, the, we, I think we've talked on the podcast before about, you know, big 12 position players and how the, the best ones are probably sophomores, or second year players now. Uh, you're looking at guys like Jace Young and Peyton Graham among them and like, okay, how good is Peyton Graham? I, he was great. He was spectacular for Oklahoma for 16, 17 games. Like what, what does, what does that mean? 
you know, I, I, I don't have a full sense of that. You know, I think for the most part, the freshmen that you saw play really well are just going to be really good players. There's, you know, not really a, a reason not to take that at face value, but at the same time, you know, we didn't get to see uh, how they would react to conference play and to teams kind of figuring out they had to key on them and then to the pressures of, of postseason or, or just, uh, you know, playing in May for, for hosting spots or, or for, to, to make regionals. So, you know, I found this to be very difficult, despite the fact that we'd already gone through the process twice in the off season and we have more returning players than ever before. Uh, and part of the reason that I found it to be very difficult is that there are way more than 25 teams that deserve to be ranked this year. And that is not always the case. Um, there are, there have been some years where I get to 23 in my preseason rankings and I'm like, well, I mean, Joe, I don't know if you know this, but you have to have 25 teams in your preseason top 25. You know, a lot of people don't remember that but you yeah, do. And so sure. I couldn't stop at 23 in those years. I had to find two more teams and we did, but this year, you know, we aren't going to be an outlet that ranks to 40 or 50 or, or anything. We're going to do 25 the way that we always have the way that, you know, it is uh, it's preseason top 25, but if we had wanted to expand it this year to 40, I would have had no problem doing that. Yeah. It would have been, would have been pretty easy to do. It, it, it'll be interesting to see this play out because I think more than more than in past years, you, you really do have some apples and oranges comparisons of, of teams. There are always going to be, let me rephrase. There are always going to be teams in a top 25 debate or a conference pecking order debate or whatever. Anytime you're comparing multiple teams, you're always going to have debates between here is a less talented team that's more experienced and here is a less experienced team that's more talented. But I think some of those are really exacerbated this year. And also we have like subgroups within those groups, right? Where we've got, everybody's a little bit more experienced. Some teams are a lot, lot more experienced. Some are just kind of marginally so because they were good enough last year to actually have guys drafted. So there are degrees of that. So we've got, you know, teams that are very, very experienced with maybe limited ceilings. We've also got teams that, you know, have higher ceilings that are slightly less experienced than that. And there's just so many different levels of that that it really felt like we were not just comparing apples and oranges. We were comparing like apples to oranges, to bananas, to cantaloupes, to grapes, to, you know, kiwi, you know, it was just, <laughs> there were all different types of teams and it, it feels like in. Other what is your favorite fruit that you just listed? Um, so day to day, probably bananas. Uh, I eat a banana. I would say for the last five years or so, I have had a banana 85% of those days, big banana guy. Um, now as a, I think grapes are probably my favorite, like just in terms of like, if I have like a handful of grapes, they just, they hit different as the kids might say. The problem with grapes <laughs> is that they are so sweet and they are so sugary that I, I kind of, I find it kind of hard to have grapes day after day, after day, after day, after day. So grapes probably, if I'm, if I'm having a handful of something or just one bite of something, I'd probably go great. But in terms of just something I'll eat every single day, it's, probably bananas i'm uh i'm not really into that into grapes um my dog loves bananas and mm -hmm. apples uh, really she'll eat just about anything but uh she she's really into the the, the bananas and 
and recently apples, which is for me what you're describing in in a banana. That's uh, that's an apple for me. But I would uh, you know melons, summer summer melons, any any kind, watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew, especially honeydew, but any kind. You know the if you if you roll up to a farmer's market and they have like different like you know uh, yeah inter- more interesting like less common melons uh, you know heirloom melons like I'm all in on all all of them uh, but that's uh, that, that's where I'm going in, in the fruit but you're right this is a fruit salad um, in college baseball yeah, this year indeed. it's not it's not just you know a couple uh, different kinds of things like we're we're throwing everything into the bowl here. There's um, there, there's just a wide wide variety uh, in terms of experience, uh, raw talent, and, and ceiling, and and yeah, I mean you can find all different kinds of of that, and it it makes comparing these teams, especially again when they only played 15, 16, 17 games last year, uh, it, it makes it very difficult. And then you throw in the fact that you know we didn't really get much point of comparison in the fall there were no inner uh interscholastic fall games and you know that you, you had some teams that were ran basically normal falls and then you had some teams that didn't have a fall at all and literally everything in between yeah i totally agree there i, I would say I'd, I'd put a bow on it this way in terms of what made this difficult is every year in the preseason i'm sure you have this experience too once or twice, or maybe a handful of times in the preseason, you'll have a coach tell you, you know, we've got some experienced guys back who have been starters in this program for two or three years, but these younger guys might actually be better. And we're going to, you know, they might actually end up winning these jobs. I heard that from every coach. And some of that is just kind of the line right now, because I think there's a, I think coaches are uh, sensitive to the idea that, Hey, we're not just going to roll out the same lineup just because those guys happened to be there last year when our season got canceled. And I get that. They don't want to send that message that, Hey, we're just, you know, we're, we're going to be lazy about this and just run the same lineup out there. So part of that is just messaging, but I do think there is some truth to, there are a lot of teams out there, especially in the top 25 that also got really good recruiting classes. We've talked about that. We really good recruiting classes better than normal on campus and need to get those guys playing time because they've earned it. And so, when that is the case, that made it really, really hard because it's like this team is really experienced, but like these guys that we know very little about, they're telling us these guys might actually be better. So they might actually play. So how much do you value the experience? And so that was part of the challenge there. And I think that to me, that that really is the, the single the, the one single anecdote that I think describes how difficult this was. Yeah, I would uh, I would echo that. So despite how difficult we're talking about. Uh, the top 25 being there was one clear cut, easy thing to do. And that was to make Florida number one. We've talked about the Gators on this podcast uh, plenty already in the off season, I feel like. Uh, But to recap, Florida returns eight of nine regulars from its lineup last year. Every pitcher that appeared in a game is back. And this is the team that finished the year at number one. They were 16 and one. They started on a 16 game winning streak. That's the best in program history. They were the last undefeated team in college baseball. Uh, they looked the part of national championship favorite last year. Um, and then to that group, they added a top five recruiting class. Uh, they are 
spoiled for talent. They are spoiled for depth. Uh, there, this is this is an incredibly deep, talented team all around the diamond. Um, they, I, I, if you want, if you're nitpicking, I guess you could say that uh, their ace, Tommy Mace, is not like Brady Singer or Alex Fieda were. Like he doesn't have that upside although he might, <laughs> um, but I, I don't think he has quite that upside. Uh, and, and, you know, Jack Leftwich, another experienced starter, but, you know, again, he's not Jackson Coar. Uh, Hunter Barco, however, is potentially the number one pick in the 2022 draft. So they, they have a lot of, of starting talent. It just, when, when you compare it to what, you know, a Vanderbilt has uh, or what, you know, we, we think, uh, you know, LSU might have Jaden Hill leading a rotation and Landon Marceau and A.J. Labus behind him. Um, Florida might be a half step behind, but where they more than make up for it is the fact that they have the best bullpen in the country. And I would be very surprised if uh, if that didn't turn out to be the case. They have so much talent, so much depth back there. Uh, this is a, a case where... Florida's bullpen is better than, I don't know, 90% of the country's, 95% of the country's rotation. Um, you know, if they, if they, by, which I, I, by that, I mean that if Florida had to pick three new starters out of their bullpen, if for whatever reason, Mace Leftwich and Barco were, were unavailable, like go find three new starters, like, no, oh, they can do that. No problem. And they're still going to be more than ready to go compete in the SEC. Um, so that that's where probably the the absolute strongest point of this team is, but I, it's hard to to really find fault with them. I, that doesn't mean they're unbeatable by any stretch. That the best team, the most talented team, is not always the best team. The most talented team does not always win the College World Series. In fact, it often does not. Uh, but sitting here right now, that's the most talent, and that was a clear choice. Uh, I think for both of us at number one. Indeed. Yeah. I, I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but it, it felt to me like this was the easiest number one um, that we, that, that I can really remember. Um, now I've not, you know, I, I ranked teams, you know, in, in a previous life with a previous set I wrote for rest in peace, college baseball central. Um, but I certainly didn't have any number ones that were, that were quite this easy. Um, so, but you're right in that it, it was a pretty quick decision. And if you were to draw, like, if there's a, a three circle Venn diagram, because the, I think all the teams in the top 25 fit in at least one and most fit in at least two of these. There's played really well in 2020. There's another circle for brings everybody back and another circle for crazy talented. Uh, theirs is like a complete circle, like because they've got all three of those things. And they're one of the, the really truly one of the few teams that has all of the, those three without any debate. There are some that ceilings are limited on. There are some that don't bring quite everybody back. There are some that were just kind of okay in 2020 and, and we, we hadn't really seen the full picture yet. So, or, 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 you know, or we're good. We just didn't know how much stock to put in that. So, but Florida is all of those things. And so pretty quick decision there. And, and I think the point you make at the end there is right. Cause he, everything you said there is, is, is correct. If Florida had to play bullpen games all season, they would be just fine. But, you know, I think the point you make there at the end is good. And I, I would I would caution people to, and this is not me hedging on Florida. I, I am as much a believer as you are. Um, but I know sometimes fans can kind of be like, well, you know, what's, you know, what's the point? Who can even touch them? Like they're just so far away. And that might be true. But 
look, you know, you get to the postseason in college baseball and it's double elimination all the way through, but you know, you could lose a game because a pitcher has a bad day. They're all human. The pitcher has a bad day, a couple of bad errors at the wrong time. And once you've got that one loss and you're back against the wall, your back's against the wall, things just change. Life gets harder. And so it can happen. We've seen a lot of really talented teams get eliminated before we thought their time was going to be up. And that's part of what makes the postseason in this sport great. But uh, I think I just say all that because, um, at least on paper, it's hard to imagine Florida meeting too much friction during the 2021 regular season. Yeah, I mean, these Gators can go ask the 2016 Gators about what it's like to be the most talented team but not win the title. Um, you know, they, they in 16, they show up in Omaha, uh, have to face Coastal, um, and Andrew Beckwith at, at his best, and they, they, they couldn't hit Beckwith, and they lost, and it was uh, – that was the beginning of the end. And, you know, so it's happened in Gainesville not that long ago. Um, you know, they can, I guess they can ask the 18 group about that as well, you know, coming off the national championship, uh, you know, with Singer and Coar leading the rotation and, you know, that, that team didn't win a national title either. So it's uh, it's a really difficult thing to do to go out and win the college world series. Uh, I think that this Florida team is more than capable of doing it, but now they're going to have to go out and do it. And, um, you know, as Kevin O'Sullivan often talks about with the Gators, they're going to be playing with the target on their back. Everyone is going to give them their best, their best shot anytime they're on the field. Uh, and they're going to have to be ready for it. And I think they will be, I think they have the experience, but, you know, again, that doesn't mean that in June they're dogpiling. They, they've got, there, there's a long way to go between now and then. Uh, and it starts with a bane for the Gators they open up uh, their new ballpark, the, the brand new $68 million stadium uh, against Miami on opening weekend. That series typically is not played opening weekend, but they moved it up because the ACC is playing 12 conference weekends and therefore starts conference play uh, on the second weekend this year. And so they had to, they had to move it up. Good job to everyone for, uh, for being able to, to agree to that uh, and, and making that series happen. And that, that's going to be, an absolute blockbuster uh, on opening weekend for a whole number of reasons that we will get into uh, closer to opening day. We're going to uh, keep talking top 25, keep talking about uh, you know, some of these teams. And, and like I mentioned before, teams that missed out on the top 25, but that we're, we're still excited about here on the baseball America college podcast. Uh, but first check this out. All right, Joe. Um, after Florida, you know, we, we come with, uh, with UCLA, Texas Tech, Ole Miss, and Virginia rounding out your top five. Where is the next tier ending? If we're talking about Florida and you know, the way we're talking about them, they're, they're standing alone. What is, for you, kind of the next grouping? I think the next grouping is actually just UCLA. Maybe you disagree, but I think it's Florida, Gap, UCLA, Gap, and then I think those next three are are kind of in a group and maybe you could make an argument about six Vanderbilt, seven Louisville being a part of that group as well. I'm not sure exactly where I'd break up that group, but I think UCLA is really kind of in a group by itself behind Florida, clearly a step behind Florida, but I think they're in that group in terms of they're similar in a lot of ways to Florida in that just about everybody back, you know, a couple, couple of losses that, that Florida doesn't really have closer in, in Holden Powell, I think is, um, 
you know, chief among them there. So uh, they have some questions to answer that, that Florida doesn't necessarily have, but just about everybody else back in the mix, a lot of talent all over the field and a, a lot of talent in places of, of guys, you names you just maybe don't, don't know yet. I think Florida is that way too, especially when you start talking about their pitching staff, but UCLA's got guys like, you know, JT Schwartz at first base, who, who people think highly of, or Michael Curiali, who was just kind of coming out of his, uh, kind of breaking out a little bit as a freshman last year when things got shut down. And, you know, Nick Mastrini is a really talented guy who just hasn't thrown that many innings for injury reasons and, and season cancellation reasons. And Noah Cardenas is, is maybe the best defensive catcher in, in the country. And that's before you start talking about Matt McClain, who is a national player of the year candidate. So they've, they've got the high end talent there. They've, they've got the depth. Um, you know, they, they brought another good recruiting class that is going to have to really fight to get on the field and they really know who they are. And part of that is John Savage. It seems like every time I talk to, to John Savage, he talks about how much they, they try to, to, to have roles for guys They're, They, they like a very regimented, um, you know, a very clear cut role for, for each player. And, and they try to get players into roles and uh, get them kind of acclimated to that. So that is, is just kind of part of the way they operate, but also, um, even if that weren't the case, you feel like they have a pretty good feel for who they are because we saw it in, in 2020 last year, we, we came into the season with some questions about who they were and they answered those questions positively very, very quickly. Um, but it's a team that maybe doesn't have a lot of mashers, but it's a really deep lineup. They're always going to pitch well because it's UCLA. I like the fact that they've got a guy like Zach Petway who, you know, isn't, isn't going to blow you away. I mean, that's, that's a way maybe you talked about Florida with, with their ace and similar with UCLA. I mean, Zach Petway is not the biggest arm out there, but he's a proven winner. And I like, they start their rotation that way, but they've, they've got some depth and uh, some quality in the rotation. Then on the back end, they'll, they'll be fine. Kyle Morris still back there. You know, Sean Mullen's a big arm that, that's going to be in the bullpen for him as well. Um, and then again, they, they always pitch well. So when you start to talk about now what's coming up behind them with a team like Texas tech, I think what, sets them apart from what's behind them is at least in the case of Texas tech, they've got a lot of really talented guys and it's just not a hundred percent clear how those pieces fit together. And that's kind of a hallmark of Texas tech and they always figure it out. Right. I mean, there's a reason they're number three, they've got some questions. They lost some guys in the mound, but we trust in them to kind of figure it out. But when we're nitpicking here and we're really splitting hairs between these teams, I think the difference in a UCLA versus Texas Tech is that UCLA, we know exactly who they are. We know exactly who's going to be in what roles. And we've seen them succeed in those roles. Whereas with Texas Tech, we just have maybe a few more questions about what it's ultimately going to look like at the end of the season. Well, I think that I would group Tech and UCLA together. We independently came to the conclusion that UCLA needed to jump Tech it had been in early iterations of this in the offseason, Texas Tech 2, UCLA 3. We both walked, came into our top 25 meeting saying UCLA needs to be 2. But I don't think that I view the gap as significantly as you do. And to pull back the curtain on this uh, for the listeners, I think this is, you know, this is kind of, a very good example of one of the tensions in putting this top 25 together is that Joe, you like set roles. You like the UCLA model. You like knowing exactly what they've got coming back. Texas Tech can't provide that for you. 
for the world <laughs> because they lost their top two starters in the draft. And also it's just not really Tim Tablock's way to have defined roles. Um, you know, this is the, this is a pitching staff that is much more, um, you know, they have roles, but it's not like they need a true Friday starter. Uh, they, they're more likely to build from the back and um, be interested in what their bullpen can do. I mean, like, I would have been really interested to see how many innings Clayton Peter threw as their ace last year. Um, you know, I, I will never know exactly what they, how they would have used Beater, but you know, that's a guy that had been a closer. They moved him to the front of the bullpen, front from the rotation, flipping him with Micah Dallas, and uh, he takes off and gets drafted. But you know, he's still not like that traditional workhorse starter. I don't think that's what he was going to have been. Um, so I'm more inclined, I think, just to look at the, uh, especially in this year, uh, just look at the, how much talent you've amassed and say, okay, well, you'll figure it out, especially in the case of a Texas tech where that's something that we're used to seeing from a Tim Tadlock team. And I trust that he's going to get it straightened out what it looks like on February 19 might not be what it looks like on April 19 won't be what it looks like on June 19, but it's going to look good throughout the season. That that's just what they have, they have shown to do. So, you know, I think that the talent level is similar. Um, You know, the UCLA has more experience. That's for sure. Petway is a huge part of that. Um, Some of the bullpen arms are really experienced uh, and, you know, McLean has been a three-year starter and uh, Cardenas has started since he was a freshman behind the plate. They, they've got a lot going on there in terms of experience. Texas Tech is a little bit younger. They played a ton of freshmen in the lineup last year. That means they're all back, but it, it does mean that they're a little less experienced. And, um, you know, like I was talking about earlier, what's it going to look like, uh, you know, when, once you get into the, the thick of Big 12 play? Yeah, we'll find out. But but to me, that's kind of where they're they're why they're behind UCLA now. Um, but I don't I don't know that I view them. I think I view them as closer to UCLA than I do to the the group behind them. And I, I think the group behind them of Ole Miss, Virginia, Louisville, Vanderbilt, like that's a really really strong group itself. Uh, but I think I, I see Texas Tech as being a, a cut ahead of that um, there with UCLA. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's I think that's certainly a, a reasonable take there. Um, I, that found that to be compelling. I, Mississippi and, and Virginia at four and five are interesting to me too because I, I think they're kind of different in interesting ways. Whereas Ole Miss, Ole Miss is getting a lot of credit for what they at least in my mind. I, I can't speak for for you or anyone else, but in my mind, them being so high in my mind had a lot to do with what we saw from them from him last year. And they've got, of course, guys missing now, you know, Anthony Servidio chief among them, but, you know, they return a team that we know a lot about rotation looks good, you know, some nice bullpen pieces, you know, they've got some thump in the, in the lineup. They were, you know, hitting home runs left and right. That was kind of their, their thing last year. Offensively, they were a little bit feast or famine and maybe it's a little more feast this year with a little more experience in, in the lineup in some places. And so there's, there's, there's a little more proof in that pudding. It feels like, especially when you talk in the rotation and then you've got Virginia, which, which does have some, some older proven guys. I think it's, it's easy to forget because we, we, we look at 
some of the, the younger names like, like Chris Newell or, or Nate Savino or, or Mike Vassell, uh, you know, a Max Codier, for example. Um, and it's easy to forget that they also have a guy in Logan Michaels, a catcher who's been around forever, and Devin Ortiz, who's been around forever, Alex Tappan, who's been around for a long time, Griff McGarry, who had a great year in, in 2020, is overlooked a little bit. But it still does feel like there's a little bit of mystery with Virginia where we were starting to see it in 2020. And I think you and I were both bullish on where the Cavaliers were going to end 2020. And we, we just didn't get to see it fully play out. Um, so those two teams with, at four and five feel a little bit different in that Virginia actually might have ended up be having a higher ceiling. But there's just like a little bit of mystery there because we really haven't fully seen it where with Ole Miss – we look at what they did in 2019 and then what they did early in 2020. And I think they're a little bit easier to project out. Virginia maybe has a little wider range of incomes for me, but I outcomes, pardon me, outcomes for me, but I would really not be surprised if, you know, Virginia ends up being the better team in the end. Cause I, I just think the higher in talent is on their side versus, versus Ole Miss, but, but Ole Miss is a little more, feels a little more of a sure thing. We're not going to get burned by having Ole Miss this high. I don't think. I mean, I am all the way in on Virginia. I don't know how, how much I've made that clear publicly to this point, but I am I am so sold on this team. There is so much talent. Uh, what they haven't done is they haven't, you know, proven themselves. They, you know, it's been a while since they were at this point in the national conversation, you know, talking about Omaha favorites, talking about ACC favorites. They you know, there, the, there's a lot of experience. They were not playing a ton of freshmen last year. Max Cotier, I think, was and Chris Newell were, were the only two. Um, but there were a lot of underclassmen overall. And they have some nice experience pieces around them, but it's really the underclassmen that are the stars here. And so they have to, they have to prove it. They have to do it when it counts. I fully confident in their ability to do it. Obviously that, that's why they're ranked fifth. Um, you know, but I don't want to undersell Ole Miss's upside either here. Uh, you know, that's uh, that that's a team that has a rotation of Doug Nikhazy, Gunnar Hoagland and Derek Diamond. And that is one of the better rotations in the country. Nikhazy is, uh, you know, a college national team vet. Gunnar Hoagland is a potential first round pick. Derek Diamond, started his freshman year very well, um, you know, was a, a, a pretty significant recruit for them to get there. So he has the pedigree. It wasn't a surprise that he was good as a freshman. Um, yeah, it's going to look different in their lineup, but they return a lot of their lineup. Servideo is a huge loss at shortstop. Uh, but if Jacob Gonzalez, the true freshman comes in and does what he did this fall, you know, obviously way different fall versus spring, uh, but if, if he's able to, to be something like what they saw in the fall, they're going to be really good again. And, um, you know, then you look at, look at Louisville and there's so much talent there. They have three potential first round picks in their lineup and we know that they pitch. It, it looks differently uh, on the mound this year than it did last year, but we know that they pitch. We know that the talents there, that the Roger Williams, gets the most out of his pitching staff there. So, you know, I, I feel pretty good about them. And then you go and you look at Vanderbilt and I mean, you see Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. And I mean, that's probably the best one, two punch in the country. If Jack Leiter can, you know, do it in sec play and, you know, he 
he has everything that you would need to do that. Um, you know, in any other year, I feel like any of those seven teams would be in the mix to be number one. Uh, but this year, again, with uh, with so much talent back in college baseball and what Florida specifically has back, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about teams that instead are, you know, five, six, seven. I mean, you can throw Mississippi State into this, too. I, I don't think they're that far off uh, the, these other teams. Uh, they're maybe a little less proven, but the, the talent level in Starkville is is incredibly high. So you've, you've kind of walked us up right to the section of the rankings that really got sticky. And so I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily jump ahead too much. So feel free to, to, to rein me back in at the end of this, but I mean, we start to get with teams like at number nine, Florida state, 10 LSU, and in particular 11 Miami, we really start to get into teams that it felt like we didn't really know exactly what to do with. And for a number of different reasons, you know, Florida state, you know, CJ Van Eyck is gone there. They need a new Friday guy. Is it, Parker Messick is it like more of the veteran Connor Grady just because he's steady in the lineup feels like we're still kind of waiting for guys like you know Elijah Cabell and Nander DeSantis to put it all together around guys like Robbie Martin and Reese Albert and, and Matt Nelson um, you know who are a little more proven they've got also got a couple names lineup that just aren't as familiar as maybe we're used to seeing LSU boy we should you know we sure do love the talent Jaden Hill and Landon Marceau but when you really get down to it those guys, uh, you know, I would, I would bet the farm on Jaden Hill uh, being one of the best pitchers in college baseball, but he's, you know, it just doesn't have that many innings under his belt through no fault of his own, just kind of the way it is. So there's a lot of stock being put in that and, and their offense has some similar questions to um, similar to the one at Florida state, you know, some, maybe some defensive questions here and there, maybe the trade-offs between offense and defense, depending on lineups they put out there and Miami, you're talking about a whole new rotation a rotation that, that has some reasons for optimism, but a whole new rotation um, nonetheless. And so to me, that that's where we really started to get into some heavy debate about what to do with these teams, because these are also three big time name brands in college baseball and three programs that deserve some benefit of the doubt that they're going to end up being in the mix. But, but man, when, when you talk about so much kind of being known in college baseball. These are, these are three teams where there is a little less known and that's why they're not, they're here and not in the discussion among the elite. And that's what really made it difficult. Yeah, there absolutely is. Um, love the talent at Miami. Uh, that was a team that in earlier iterations, we were, we were much lower on uh, the reports coming out of the fall. Pretty good. Start looking at it a little more, start thinking about the talent a little more start thinking about how they might have the best player in the country and Adrian Del Castillo might have the best power hitter in the country and Alex Terrell. Um, and then, you know, they added the number one recruiting class. They've got, they got a lot to like, uh, they got a lot to prove, but they got a lot to like. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know what the ceiling for this Miami team is. I, I'm excited to find out though, uh, because I think that the, the Canes have a chance to be really good. Um, if uh, if they can get that that younger pitching uh, to to show up earlier in the season as opposed to later in the season, because it will show up. It's just when is it going to one uh, of those guys are really going to grow into their roles? And, you know, we'll, we'll just have to, to wait and see. I um, Joe, I, I wanted to talk about Texas and TCU, which which come up here next. Um, they're uh, the, the rest of this. The, the, the ranking is interesting to me, obviously, 
I put it together. We spent hours on it. Obviously, it's interesting. But, you know, after you get outside the top eight, I, I really think that those are two of the most interesting teams here. Um, you have Texas, which uh, is it back? I mean, I, the, the Horns might be back. And they were starting to show that last year. Uh, they went into the Shriners College Classic in Houston, having played really well the first couple of weeks of the season. And they, I, as I recall, they went one and two in Houston, but it was a couple close losses, weren't quite able to get over that hump. Uh, they're, a, they're a younger team, but Ty Madden and Pete Hansen at the front of the rotation has some significant upside. And then TCU is a fascinating team to me that I really didn't get enough i i did not get to see enough of tcu in 2020 um to truly know how i felt about some of that uh some of what that team was doing but you look at it they're very old they're very experienced but there's also a lot of young talent that they can mix in and you know it's just gonna be interesting to see how all of that comes together and then you're talking about what could be uh, an incredibly interesting Big 12 title race. Yeah, I'm excited to talk some some Big 12 uh, when we get to start previewing conferences. We're, I guess, to, to let the listeners in on the little secret here, Teddy and I are planning out podcasts for the next few weeks, and, and we do want to do something conference preview specific. And the Big 12 is is really fascinating this year for, for a number of reasons. And these two teams are, I think, uh, chief among those reasons because I, I think at least one of the two is going to be probably better than this. And I think it's a safe bet that the other one might be, might disappoint a little bit for, for various different reasons. I, I mean, that's just kind of the way that these things go, but I think both of these teams do have um, a range of outcomes. What I will say is that Texas's are a little more wild. I would say um, really like the pitching staff hard not to again, you know, I think this is going to be true of a lot of teams, but again, a little, a little bit of an unproven quality there, but that's again, I think every team in the country that you can say that about just, because we, we only saw four weeks last year, but certainly like the pitching staff offense, as is so often the, the case at Texas is more of the question. And I think if they're going to reach their potential, they're going to need some stars to emerge. Now there are individual pieces. Uh, you really like Austin Todd, steady veteran like that. Mike Antico, really good career at St. John's. He's been uh, from, from what you've heard, Teddy, you've, you've been uh, talked around that program a little more than I have. So everything you've heard there has been really positive. Zach Zubia, steady veteran, like that. Trey Faltine, really talented. Eric Kennedy, you know, good athlete, had a nice year last year. There are a lot of things to like there, but they're just going to have to hit more than they were in 2020 and more than they've hit historically uh, to really be able to reach their potential. So I feel like there is a little more boomer bust with, with, with Texas. TCU, I don't think has as much boomer bust. Texas, TCU has like a more narrow range of outcomes, I think, because I think the floor is incredibly, incredibly high. The floor might be as high as, as any non, you know, Florida UCLA team in this top 25, because they're old. We know who these players are more than just about any other team in these rankings. And the good news about that is that most of them have been proven to be very good college players. Not a lot of huge prospects on this team, at least among the upperclassmen, but for the most part, they are really good college players. I, I saw them up close uh, at the tournament out in Southern California last year. It wasn't their, their best weekend, but they played well. They just took a couple of tough losses. And it was, I, I just remember, and I've, I've made this point before, this is not new material I'm, I'm running out here, but 
I just remember coming away thinking like, that's a, that's a grown up team. That's a team of grown ups. Like those are, and that was last year. These guys are all a year older now, but they, 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 um, they just kind of were, were grown up mature players, both mature and kind of the way they carried themselves and the way they played. Um, but the question is going to be, what is their ceiling? Now TCU is kind of the biggest example I can think of, of a coach when I, when I've talked to Jim Schlossnagel, um, we had him on the podcast. He talked a little about this. You know, I went to a media availability that TCU put on where he talked about this. He was the coach who I think was most out front with, look, we've got guys back, but these younger kids are really pushing them. And I think there's going to be some, some new blood in some, in some big roles. And so, you know, I, I think there's kind of remains to be seen what that ends up, what kind of impact that ends up having on this team. And if those guys end up breaking through guys, like I'm thinking Elijah Nunez, uh, you know, Braden Taylor in, in the lineup, you know, if those guys really break through and if let's say a guy like a Riley Cornelio, who's a, a big time recruit who just hasn't had the opportunities yet has a breakout season that could raise the ceiling for what TCU is. Now, if we just see kind of the 2020 group back out in 2021, I do think there is a little bit of a limit on the ceiling, but you know, I feel confident to say that, you know, this is going to be a TCU team that's just going to be in the top 25 all year. I don't think they're, you know, I, I don't think the, the barring injuries, I don't think there's much of a chance of the bottom just falling out of this group, but in order for them to be the type of team that can get to Omaha and maybe challenge to win a national title again, I think the lineup that we see in June is going to have to look a little bit different than the lineup in rotation or bullpen mix, whatever you want to say, is going to have to look a little bit different than the one that takes the field in February, because a lot of their higher in talent are not the guys who are necessarily back in the mix that have been there a long time. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating team. They're both fascinating. I'm, uh, I'm interested in the big 12 race and uh, in it, in, in a way that, you know, sometimes the big 12 often delivers very entertaining title races. They don't play as many games as the other major conferences. Uh, so that that helps bunch things up a little bit and make everything just a little more significant. But uh, this year, I, I think it's going to be uh, especially entertaining. Um, you know, when you look at at some of the teams that, that you've got in the mix in that conference. Uh, all right, Joe, we're, we're going to have plenty of time to run through these teams. We'll run through these teams when we're talking some of the conference previews and into the early parts of the season. But who from the back half of this top 25, who did you have the hardest time trying to line up? That's, yeah, it's a good question. I would say, I would say probably a team like Georgia Tech. And I think part of what colors that is that you and I, you and I have a little bit of a difference in opinion in, in Georgia Tech. I am higher on them. You are lower on them, but even just for me, I struggled with them because they are kind of a unique combination of lost some key pieces from last year's team, um, you know, uh, more so than a lot of other teams that we've talked Low about. Low key, key pieces, like key pieces that people don't realize how important they were. I feel like. Yeah. Like I think it's easy to overlook because he didn't play defense because he was kind of stuck at DH for a lot of his career to an injury. Like Michael Goldberg has been one of their best hitters the last couple of years was one of the best hitters in the ACC. Like, I think if he had continued to hit like he had in his career through 2020, people would know the name a little more, but 
he was just as steady as they come in the lineup. And then Baron Radcliffe is probably a guy who, if he's back for another year, probably actually starts to really put it together. Like we started to see it in 2020, little at the end of 2019, maybe, but just big time power. You know, the hit was coming around really good athlete. Um, but those guys are, are gone. So you have that combined with the fact that they are really banking on a combination of a guys that looked really good in a short window in 2020. I'm thinking about Drew Compton, who was a freshman last year, Stephen Reed, who was a freshman last year, um, you know, Trace Gonzalez, who's a freshman last year, and guys who just haven't had a chance to prove it for one reason or another. You know, Court Rodig um, has been solid in moments, but they're going to be they're going to be asking him to be a real dude on the weekend. Brand Herter was very good in 2019, but then had Tommy John surgery, missed the latter half of 2019, missed all of 2020. So it's been a while since we've seen him. Uh, you know, Luke Bartnicki has been good in little stretches, not so good in others. Andy Archer has struggled with injuries throughout his career. Chance Huff transferring from Vanderbilt. Didn't get as much of a chance to pitch at Vanderbilt because, you know, you see what Vanderbilt has in the pitching staff. So you combine all that together, replacing some guys, have some questions about some guys. Um, you and I, you know, we had Danny Hall on the podcast. You and I have had this conversation on the podcast just separate from that. You, you cannot deny that Georgia Tech's talent is up versus where it was, let's say, three years ago. Um, but whereas you – this year might look like a culmination of that. And it very well might be right. Like this could hit in a big way. They could finish well ahead of this preseason ranking, but also there's just enough puzzle piece moving here that I do think there is a chance that it just doesn't quite click. And that maybe it's more of a 2022 team versus a 2021 team, because a little bit like TCU, as much as I like Luke Waddell, for example, um, as a player, a lot of their better talent, Kevin Parada, the guys I mentioned with Compton and Reed, Zach Maxwell and the pitching staff, a lot of their better, ta better talent is, are the younger guys. Um, so maybe this is more of a next year team, but that's not to say it couldn't also be a this year team. We're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah. I, um, we have walked Georgia tech all over the top 25, uh, both publicly and privately. They, uh, They've been all over the place. So yeah, it's uh that's a team that we're, we're clearly just trying to get a feel for. Um, interested to see what it looks like. A lot of intriguing pieces there, but uh, hard to, hard to pin them down right now. I think for me, uh, I feel obligated to say it's Michigan. Um, that's a team that for the last year now, we've again been walking all over the place uh, in the top 25. You know, they've, were number one for a week last year. We're number 25, not too many weeks later. Um, and, you know, then they lost a whole bunch of guys to pro ball after last season. And, and now they've, they've, they went into the transfer market. They got some good players there. What's it all going to look like? You know, we'll see what's it actually going to mean. I don't know. Cause the big 10 is going to be playing a conference schedule anyway so like when am I actually going to know how good Michigan is I don't know um I don't know when I'm going to know how good any of these Big Ten teams are so it's uh it's confusing uh it's confounding but I, I do think that when you're you're talking about a rotation that starts with Steve Hadger uh and you have some of the pieces in the lineup like Benjamin Sims played a ton of college baseball in the Big 12 no less 
Um, you know, maybe he hasn't done it at Michigan, but I, I, I think that they've got, they've got the pieces with Hadger and with beers, with some of the other experienced pitching that they have uh, to be a really good team again. I, uh, I'm with you on, on Michigan. That, that's another one. That's, that's um, another team that, that I kind of considered when you, when you pose the question. Um, part of it for me betting on them is like one, you'll always go, okay, you've got a guy, Steven Hadger, that, like that's a first round arm. So you're always going to kind of bet on, on that, especially the back end of the top 25 where you're, you're just kind of looking to cling to something, but you're right that the transfers are a big piece of this. I agree with that. Also, you know, the big 10 is, is, has proven a certain level of quality. And I think you and I have the same debate and you'll, you'll notice readers and listeners you know, UCF cracking the top 25 here. I think we have a similar debate with the big 10 in, in American where it's like, you know, whoever we think the best team in those leagues are like deserves consideration here. Now the, the big 10, I think has graduated a little more from that to where we, we do consider those teams a little more on, on their own merits versus just, you know, one of these teams is going to be in, which one is it, but that's certainly a baseline to start these conversations. And I don't think that's still Michigan. We like some other big 10 teams. Indiana is always, I think going to be in that mix, but um Michigan's just a cut above in terms of the talent it's, it's putting out there. And, and, and boy, you sure do like when you're able to start with a first round arm, like, like Hadger on the weekends for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, we, we only have the one big 10 team and only the one American team, but both of those leagues could have had more teams uh, fit. And I guess that's a, a nice segue uh, to some of the teams that missed the cut. We, we promised we would talk a little bit about teams that missed the cut. Um, I don't know, Joe, for me, I think Arizona State was the first one out. Uh, that's maybe not the most interesting one. They were in, I think, the most recent, never too early version. So uh, not really giving away the farm there to a lot of farm references today. Not really giving away anything there to uh, to tell you that the Sun Devils were, were firmly in the mix here. Um, beyond, beyond them, I, I would say that a team that we have not talked about much this offseason on the podcast that I wound up looking at more and liking a lot more uh, was Clemson. Uh, that it's, uh, it's an intriguing team to me. Sam Weatherly is gone from the front of the rotation, but there's, uh, I think there's a lot to like there when, when you look at it uh, on the mound. And, you know, under Monty Lee, the Tigers have hit. I, I don't think they have you know, as many of the household name hitters yet. But I think that by the end of the season, we're going to know more about some of these, these Clemson hitters. And, and I, I think they're going to make some noise in the ACC. I think that is right. Uh, I think it should make people excited for Clemson and South Carolina to, to play this season more so than normal. That that's a, a series that's lacked a little juice the last couple of years on both ends, frankly, uh, although not amongst their fans, I'm sure, but just nationally because those teams haven't been quite as good. And obviously we've, we've got high expectations for South Carolina. We haven't mentioned their name, but we, we do have them ranked at 18 coming into the year, but a lot to prove there. really talented team. Clemson kind of in the same boat feels like they're just on this outside looking in. So two teams that are roughly in the same general vicinity in the pecking order. So I think that's the team that comes out of that weekend is going to be feel really, really good about uh, that result. So uh, with you on Clemson, I'll, I'll throw two out there. One, um, and I feel like they deserve a shout out because they, we ran them up there pretty high at the end of last year. That's Pepperdine. And they deserved it. It's a, a team I saw a couple times, actually. Uh, first opening weekend, um, you know, they had a really good weekend in the, the Angels tournament. They had in, in um, Tempe, uh, wins over San Diego, Minnesota, Oregon. 
And then I saw them last weekend of the season uh, as they were winning two out of three against Michigan in, in Malibu at a time when Michigan was really, really scuffling and trying to find it. And, and you know, we, we don't know how that turn would have turned out, but um, you know, they, so they caught Michigan. It felt like at a, at a pretty good time because they really, um, they really pulled them apart. Two out of those three games did, did Pepperdine. So a team I like, I still think the favorite, the, the WCC is on my list of conferences to preview and, and they are far and away the favorite in that league. That's not in doubt. They do return a, a, a very veteran team. Um, they end up kind of missing the cut because one, um, it did feel like maybe they were playing a, a little bit above expectation in 2020 and maybe they were going to come back to the pack a little bit. Also the resume in hindsight um, looks a little lighter than maybe it did at the time. I, I talked about Michigan as much as we thought Michigan was, was still the favorite in the big 10 and, or at least a co-favorite or however you wanted to find that still liked that Michigan team, but also they did catch Michigan at a pretty good time. That series was at home. And then ultimately like wins over San Diego, Minnesota and Oregon kind of look nice on, on paper, but how good are those wins really? Like we don't, we don't really know. So it's easy to kind of pick apart the resume a little bit in hindsight. So I think it's a team that's going to hang around. I wouldn't be shocked if we rank them at some point, just because they are going to be the class of the WCC. Um, but a team that just kind of missed the cut a little bit because we were able to, to kind of look back on, on 2020 and, and some other teams, I think just kind of jumped into the discussion versus um, Pepperdine being pushed uh, pushed out on their on their merits, as it were. The other is Oklahoma State, and you know Oklahoma State's one that I, I just think like they're probably going to be a top twenty five team. Honestly, like it's a team that I feel pretty good saying that about. Um, but it's one of those it's one of those teams too where they've got a lot of older guys, and it's older guys who who have been around a long time. And it's just a question of are these still their best guys? Do they have younger guys who are going to push those older guys? Uh, that's particularly true in the lineup um, on the pitching staff. It's just the same questions we came into last year with, frankly, like everything, all the questions on the Oklahoma state pitching staff just kind of got moved down a year where it's like, okay, really like Parker Scott at the front of the rotation. And what we saw in 2020 should not change that, but everything else is kind of a question mark. We, we talked about those freshman pitchers, um, you know, into kind of, I guess now I tell the listeners, you know, at the time the season ended, I was kind of working on a longer piece on the Oklahoma state freshman pitchers, because it was, it felt, uh, I'm sure it was not unprecedented. And I'm sure some of my challenge in writing the piece was trying to find precedent for this, but they were leaning on freshman pitchers in a way that you don't normally see really, you know, major conference teams leaning on freshman pitchers. They were really going all in on freshman arms. And so I talked to Josh holiday and talked to Rob Walton and asked teams that had played Oklahoma state about Oklahoma state's pitchers and what they saw. And obviously that piece you know, never saw the light of day because of what happened, but um, that still is interesting because they still are leaning on that same group of guys mostly. And it was a very mixed bag for that group in 2020. So I'll be fascinated to see what happens with that group in 2021 and what kind of improvement they show, because if that improvement comes along, suddenly Oklahoma state ceiling raises, but to me, it's another high floor big 12 team, just because, you know, from what we know in the lineup, those guys are going to hit Oklahoma state, not only always hits, but also they've just got a ton of proven guys and, and man, the arms are talented and they've got a couple of certainties, you know, uh, with, with Parker Scott and a couple of guys who are back in the bullpen, um, who, who are proven commodities. There's enough there on the pitching staff, that they're going to, to be okay there. It's just a matter of how many new faces do we see become stars. If that number is higher on the higher end than on the lower end, I think Oklahoma state suddenly is a little bit of a dark horse, big 12 title contender, but we'll have to see that, uh, see that play out.
Yeah, look, you're not going to go broke betting on Oklahoma State to be a solid uh, regional competitor, you know, maybe make a run to Omaha type team. Uh, that that is what they are. But right now, I uh, I got I got some questions. I want to see some of it. And you know, I I think you summed up the the pokes pretty well there. Uh, they they have the ability. We just have to. I, I guess I just want to see it a little more. Uh, but before before we we, we run them into uh, into the top twenty five, plenty plenty of contenders for these spots. I mean. Um, Georgia's not ranked. I don't think Georgia's going to fall off too terribly badly, uh, despite what they lost in the rotation. Uh, Coastal Carolina should be good. Uh, just saw this week that Gary Gilmore, I guess now last week, uh, Gary Gilmore is expecting to coach this season with uh, what he called um, limited or, or very little limitations, no limitations, something like that. The point is Gary Gilmore is is doing well in his battle against cancer, and uh, he expects to be back in the dugout uh, this season, which is is great news just in general. Also, good news for the Shants as they uh, as they they take aim at um, you know the rest of the Sun Belt in in 2021. And uh, you know we've talked about BC before and what how how good the talent in Boston is and, and how this year could be a, a breakthrough year for the Eagles. So, I mean, those are some of the teams we considered. There are more that, that I and Joe have not mentioned, but uh, we'll, we'll get to, to them in due time, I'm sure. And there will be teams that, that, that play their way into these rankings uh, over, over the course of the season, of course. And some of them will be teams we expected to, and some of them will be teams uh, we, we did not expect to. So, uh, a lot of fun to put together the preseason top 25. A lot of really deserving teams this year. Too many deserving teams, frankly. It was, like I said at the top of this, that this was a very challenging process. Uh, but we're, we're glad to, uh, to have it out there, and, and we're glad to you know, be within uh, just a few weeks now of, of getting to see some of this play out on the diamond. Yeah, I can't get here fast enough. Um, I mean, it'll, it will be here before we know. I mean, you and I have enough to do. Like, it's one of those deals where they're actually we're, – we're really excited about it. But, uh, boy, um, you know, the extra days sure, sure seem valuable at this point. But, um, no, exciting times. Can't wait. Uh, season, like we've talked about a million times before, this season's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, we're going to have to practice patience every step of the way. It's not going to be the smoothest ride we've ever had. But – um, hopefully it'll be an exhilarating ride that'll be heightened by the fact that, um, you know, it was robbed, taken from us last year. And so, um, you know, really excited to get it going. And, and this, this top 25 is just kind of another step in, in that direction of, of getting me ready to, uh, to get things going on February 19th. Absolutely. Well, we're going to wrap the podcast here. Uh, there's plenty to read over at baseballamerica.com. Top 25 is there. We'll have team reports rolling out uh, for each of the top 25 teams throughout the week. The top five uh, are online today if you're listening to this on Monday uh, and the rest will will make it there by the end of the week. Uh, there is plenty uh, of, of good info in there. I would say that that, that should keep everyone pretty busy uh, if you're trying to read through all 25 of them. Uh, we'll be continuing the college preview content over the next couple weeks. Um, 
both on the website and on the podcast. And if you're a print subscriber in the magazine, if you're not a print subscriber, uh, go find an issue at, at your, uh, your local bookstore. Um, that they'll be coming out soon. And, you know, Joe and I are very excited uh, about the product uh, that, that you can hold in your hands and, and flip through and, and read all about um, you know, college baseball in, in 2021. So I would encourage you to, uh, to check that out uh, if, you, if you can once it, uh, once it hits uh, your mailbox or, or the store shelves. Uh, we will be back here on the podcast next week. We're going to get into to more previews, probably about uh, some of the specific conferences over the next couple of weeks. So check that out. Uh, make sure you've subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening. You can subscribe and then you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get it right there straight to your phone. Don't have to worry about... Uh, about going to find it uh, when, when it comes out next week. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We will see you guys uh, here next week on the next edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you then. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.